as I thought about uh, those people uh, talking about their membership, I was reminded of the, the story of the, the mother that was looking out her kitchen window to see her young son out in the, the front yard. And he had the cat and he was uh, trying to dunk this cat into this, this kind of small swimming pool. And, uh, of course, the cat was just having a fit. So she walks out there and asks, you know, what, what, what are you doing? And she's, the boy says, I, I'm, I'm having church service. She says, well, what are you doing with the cat? He says, I'm baptizing the cat. She said, honey, I've told you a number of times that the cat does not like water. The boy quickly responded, well, he should have thought about that before he joined my church. <laughs> Every church has a set of expectations of their members. Any organization has a set of expectations for somebody that is, that, that is a partner with them or is a, a member of their organization. And our church is, is no different. We are spe- spending the, the month of January looking at some, some pretty significant habits. And these habits, they are expectations that that the leadership has of all of us that are our members here all of us that that we we are here and we consider this our family these habits they they shape us they they form us into the image of christ last week we looked at bible reading and, and how it is formative to to who we are and how we can make that a habit and this morning we're going to talk about the, the habit of worshiping regularly. And as you find your seat, if you would, open up to John chapter 4 with me. That will be the, the main text uh, for us this morning. This is the second Sunday that, that we have uh, gathered together in, in one worship setting instead of having two. And that was a decision that... Uh, w- was a long time coming. It was uh, one that, that uh, wasn't easy to make, but we have experienced some decline in attendance over the last uh, seven years or so. And uh, some of that is, is people that have moved away, uh, people that have, have just left this church. Uh, but one of the, the biggest issues that we face is that, that people just are simply attending less. So well, let's just do a little math experiment here. If you, if you have a church of 100 members, just to make the, the math simple, and the average person attends three Sundays out of, uh, out of four, then your average attendance is what? 75, right? So now let's say that, that, that people start attending less, and they're not attending three times out of every month, but instead they're attending twice out of every month. What? What, what is now your, your average attendance? 50. Right, 25 less, even though you still have the same number of people that, that claim to be members of that church, and they, they, they still see, see that church as their home, and yet because they're attending less, the attendance changes. There's a lot of research that, that backs that up, that this is happening across uh, America. That, that people are attending churches less frequently. There are a number of factors that contribute to that. One of that 
One of the factors being our affluence. That, that because of the wealth that we have, we are able to travel. We're able to, to go on vacation more often or just to, to get away for a weekend. And that impacts the, the, the attendance. Another factor that contributes is sports. Many of you can remember days where, where there was, you, you would not find anybody on a, a ball field on a Sunday. And, and now just go out to the ball fields today. Other factors are, are, are jobs that, that uh, take us away. But what I fear is that for too many of us, the, the primary factor is just that, that it's, not a, it's not a priority for us anymore. That, that we seem to think that, and perhaps the, the church has contributed to this over the years, that, that we have so emphasized the, the, the fact that worship, it is, it is a lifestyle. It's something that you do every day of the week. That, that we started to internalize that to the point that, that we don't need the corporate ga- gathering anymore. That, that it's just my relationship with God. And I'm 100% on board with the fact that worship is a lifestyle. In fact, Psalm 34 that, that Dusty read for us, the first verse makes that plain. That worship is something that you do daily. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. But don't neglect the fact that just two verses later, the psalmist will go on to say, So glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. The psalmist sees there's value in worship together. In fact, Jesus sees the value in that as well. If there was anybody in the history of the world that, that could have just simply said, you know, I don't need to go to church today because my relationship with God is all right. If there's anybody that could have said that, it was Jesus, right? But that's not what Jesus did. According to Luke 4, verse 16, Jesus had the habit. It was His custom to go to the temple, to go to the synagogue, to go to worship with other people because worship mattered to Jesus. It mattered so much that that He didn't just attend, but He talked to other people about worship. Like the woman in John chapter 4. The story begins with us in verse 4 by by describing that, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, that's a little bit misleading because no Jew ever had to go through Samaria. Samaria was one of those places that, that a, a Jew would avoid. They would actually go out of their way. They, they would take the long route to, to avoid going through Samaria. No one had to go through Samaria. But John says Jesus did. And Jesus did because He is God. He is revealing who God is. And what we need to know about God is that God doesn't, he doesn't need us. Sometimes we, we start to imagine that, that, that 
God is this kind of self-absorbed being that, that He needs our praise in order to survive. That, that He needs us to talk about Him. He needs us to tell Him how good He is to us. But, but God doesn't need us. In, in, in ancient times, there were a lot of other stories about gods. And in all of those stories, human beings were slaves of the gods. The gods, in essence, were dependent upon the humans. They needed them to, to offer these sacrifices as food. But time and time again, God says, I, I don't need your sacrifices. Paul will say that, 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 that God doesn't live in, in houses built by humans because He has no need of us. But while God doesn't need us, God does seek us. And that's the, the message of Jesus Christ, is that, that God doesn't just stay up here in heaven and, and, and leave us on our own, but instead, He comes seeking after us. In fact, towards the end of this story with the, the woman, Jesus is going to make a statement that... that uh, that we spend some time talking about in church circles, about uh, the, the true worshipers, they worship God in, in spirit and in truth. And we miss the last part of that verse, which maybe is the most important part. It says that these are the worshipers that God seeks. That the Father is seeking. God always takes the first step. Nowhere in Scripture do you read of someone who takes the first step towards God. Sometimes we'll describe people that, that are without faith as seekers. And that is a little bit misleading. Because God is the one who's a seeker. It's God who, who calls Noah and, and, and asks him to build the boat. It's God that calls Abraham out of the, his, his idolatry, according to Joshua, and, and says, come and follow me, and I'm going to make you a large nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all nations through you. It is God that always takes the first step. And Jesus takes the first step by going through Samaria. He sits down at a well. It's the middle of the day. Then a woman comes out to him. John 4, verse 16. It's a part of the conversation it begins by talking about water, but then Jesus gets a little personal and says, go, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now some of you will come up to me afterwards and say, Jeff, it sounds like you've been reading my mail, that, that you're just talking right to me. But I guarantee you, I've never gotten as personal as what Jesus does right here with this woman. 
I mean, he, he has just met her and he is telling her things that, that she tries to hide from people. These are the things that, that she does not let other people know about whenever she first meets them. But Jesus brings them up. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. It's an interesting shift in conversation to talking about husbands, to talking about your, your, your past, to talking about worship. But what if it's... What if this woman is not creating a diversion. What if she's not trying to change the subject? But what if she sees the connection from everything that, that Jesus has been talking about? Because worship, it is the, the, it is the human response to the divine initiative. That's all worship is. It is just simply responding to what God has done. And throughout the Bible, you'll find various terms that, that, that have these uh, connections with these body movements. Worship will, will be used to, to describe uh, a kneeling or bowing down. Or, or worship will be spoken of as, as shouting or, or singing praises or lifting hands. It, it is a whole body experience. It involves all of who we are. And so she, in this conversation, recognizes that, that no one can know this about her without, without some kind of divine knowledge. She recognizes he's a prophet. She recognizes that God is taking a step here. And she begins to talk about worship. This woman is doing the, the same thing that, that, for example, Abraham does. In Genesis chapter 13, God again tells Abraham that, that all the land you see, I'm going to give to your descendants. In the next verse, we're, we're, we're told that, that then Abraham, and he settles down, and then he builds an altar. And he worships. In fact, whenever you're reading the story of Abraham, that seems to be all Abraham does is, is march around building an altar and worshiping. It's as if he is his traveling through life and everywhere he goes, he says, you know what? I found that God is here too. And he builds an altar and worships. He responds to what God is doing in his life. In the church that I grew up in, we talked about a lot about the five acts of worship. As if these acts fulfill the responsibility of worship. But that's not the intention of of acts of worship. The, the acts of worship are precip, uh, per, uh, participative reminders. They, they remind us 
of who we are because the truth is we need worship. It's not God that needs worship. We need worship to remember who we are. And if anyone needs to remember who they are, it is this woman who's talking with Jesus at the well. He's just called out her past. Five husbands, all of whom have told her who she is. John will tell us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And the order matters. Jesus comes first offering grace to this woman, speaking to the value of who she is. And you too need a reminder regularly of who you are. Because you, like this woman, will have people around you that that will try and tell you who you are, where your worth comes from. It's when we gather in worship that our lives are reoriented, that, that, that our, 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 everything about us is put into its place. But it's only that way if we're intentional about it. Several years ago, there was an atheist by the name of Hemet Meta that decided that he was going to use eBay to uh, kind of prove his, his atheism a little bit. And so he, he, he was going to sell himself on eBay to anyone and, and they, he would attend the, the church of their choice. And then he would go and, and, and listen and, and then he would write about why everything was wrong. Jim Henderson, uh, a pastor, came across that, um, that listing and he purchased Hemant Meta, and actually sent uh, Meta not just to one church, but to several churches across the United States. And the, the, the story of Meta's journey through um, small churches, churches of less than 100, uh, middle, medium-sized churches and large churches, he wrote about in this book called I Sold My Soul on eBay. The last couple of chapters, he kind of summarizes his experience in all of these churches. In a subheading that is titled, Too Much Time Devoted to Singing, he begins by, by actually admitting that, that in most of the churches, he was actually um, kind of fond of the singing. But what surprised him is he said, I'm convinced that a lot of Christians don't care about it. How did I reach that conclusion? Because I saw plenty of people walking in late to the service. I have the impression that churches begin their services with music to serve as a sort of buffer so that if, if churchgoers arrive late, they won't miss the important part, that is the sermon. However, I suspect that as people began to understand that there would be an extended period of music, they started to come in later so they could skip the songs. I can picture the likely progression in my mind. He goes on and say, speaking of those who walk into church late, I want to know why they do so. 
Not everyone gets stuck in traffic. If church is so important, there is no reason to walk in late. In fact, if going to worship God is important, then people should arrive early. It seems completely disrespectful to me, and I would think to the pastors, when people walk into the auditorium five or ten minutes into the service. And what's worse is when parents come in with their children who learn by example that walking in late is not a big deal. It's just church, right? No need to get there on time. Is that what Christians want to teach their children? Those are are harsh words that that, that don't come from me. They come from an acknowledged atheist who doesn't even believe this story, but from a, a period of time when he spent traveling around the United States, sitting in churches. This was something that he just couldn't seem to to understand. And you heard the conclusion he came to. That this worship, the only conclusion that makes sense is it's not important to them. I would argue that worship is terribly important. That there are weeks that someone walks into these these doors and, and you may be surprised at who they are. That they are wrestling with their faith. That in this moment, they're not real sure that there even is a God, much less a God that loves them and they need you i need you to be here not not because your voice is beautiful but i need you to remind me of the story there's that that old hymn i love to tell the story and, and we need to reignite that love of the story. We need to, to, to begin to tell that story over and over and over again. Our children, they love to watch the same movie, the same television show time and time again. And then they will begin to reenact that movie. They'll begin to, to, to pick a part and they, they will play that part over and over again and they'll invite you to play that part with them. Because we, we get engaged in stories. And there is a story that is of such great significance that it explains every question that you could ever have. It explains the reason that you exist We need worship to remember who we are. And we need worship not just for us, but for the world. Because we need worship to repel obedience. Jesus eventually reveals His true identity, not just as a prophet, but as the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One that that, that everyone is waiting for, the One who is going to restore everything. 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The image that we often get of someone who loves worship is that they are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. But that is not what worship does. Erwin Lutzer tells a story of a man that lived in Germany during World War II and identified himself as a Christian, was a part of a church that happened to uh, be built right beside a railroad. And every Sunday as they gathered, that railroad would come by. They could hear the, the engine coming. They could hear the horn as it drew closer. But over time, they started to hear another sound. They started to hear the sound of cries from people. They discovered that those cries were of Jewish people that were being transported as cattle inside those cars to concentration camps. Camps. And, and the, the, the cries disturbed them as they were gathering to worship. And their response was simply to, to sing louder in order to drown out the cries. And, and so as soon as they would hear the train coming, they would begin to sing louder. And the man told Erwin Lutzer that, that those cries still haunt him. I'm afraid that that too often we are like that church. That we come in here and, and, and we're all happy because, because the, the seats are filled now and the singing is a little bit better. And we forget that we are followers of Jesus. A Jesus that, that was not satisfied with just living a safe, comfortable life, but, but He gave up, He emptied of Himself to go for the world. It is Jesus that, that whenever He's asked what the greatest commandment is, that He would answer in Matthew chapter 22 that the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Or the second is equal to it. The second you can't have without the first. The first you can't have without the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I know that, that for many of you, you are here because of your conviction of who Jesus is. You believe that, that, that He is the Messiah. That, that He went to the cross. That He paid for all of our sins. He paid for my sins. He paid for your sins. And you are responding to that. Let me challenge you not to leave that response here. 
but to allow your worship to propel you into obedience out into the world. To go and love the city of Amarillo the way that Jesus loved the city of Amarillo, the way that Jesus loves your neighbors, the way that Jesus loves those people that, that, that just blow their leaves over into your yard, the way that Jesus loves the people that, that, that leave early at work and leave you to, do, to, to carry all of their extra stuff. Go and love them because you've been reminded of who you are. We worship because of God. And we go because Jesus went. We are to follow Jesus. Our mission is stated in this way that that we seek to bring people to Christ while we discover together how to be more like Christ. And church... We will not discover how to be like Christ without coming here regularly. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would remind us of the beauty of your love. I pray that that as we need conviction, that you would convict us as we need Your grace. Father, I pray that You would offer that to us, that we would experience it. Father, I pray that You would continue to shape us and mold us into Christ. Father, use our worship as we sing. Use it to to teach one another as we sing through hymns and songs spiritual songs. Use it to admonish and correct one another. Father, I pray that, that You would use it for Your glory. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. As we continue in song, we continue in worship, some of our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center. We're going to offer an invitation because Jesus invites you to come. If you'd like prayers, you can go to them. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ, we would love to do that now as we stand and worship.